You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee and with me for a portion of the podcast today is Paul Doroshenko. Just a portion. Just a portion. Tiny little bit. Tiny little bit because uh, before I get to you, Paul, yeah. uh, I'm going to talk to Ben Dooley from CKNW. Oh, wonderful. Nice yeah. guy. Yeah, great guy. What are you um, talking about? We're talking about wheelchair users who get impaired driving charges in their motorized wheelchairs. Huh. Which is a thing. Huh. No, no, yeah, have. I would imagine it is. Yeah, somebody's been convicted of it. But there's a problem with that. I thought it was fucking bullshit, frankly. Well, how do you get around if you've been drinking? You can't even get to the taxi, I guess, if you're in a wheelchair. If... I guess somebody has to, like, carry you? Oh, that's stupid. Humiliating. That's stupid. stupid. Ridiculous. That's Discriminatory, yeah. yeah. Time so, for the government to step in and legislate. Time so for the government You're talking to Ben before me. Before you, so. Okay, cut me off. Away. <laughs> Um, and, uh, thank you to Ben Dooley, uh, who's about to join us for our discussion on wheelchairs and impaired driving. And thank you to Ben Dooley from CKNW Radio for joining me on the Driving Law Podcast. Good evening, Ben. Hi, Kyla. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. I, uh, I was excited that you agreed to do this because I was really interested in the discussion that, uh, we were having on Twitter. Um, I had posted a tweet about uh, um, whether uh, scooters should be um, used for impaired driving prosecutions in Denmark. And then you asked about uh, wheelchair users, um, which is something that I've always wondered about. And uh, one of uh, the other Twitter users, Bruce Warnsby, found a case where people were convicted for impaired driving in a motorized wheelchair. Um, yeah, and... Uh you know, it's it's something that I, I I'm a wheelchair user, and it's something that you know it it comes up, uh, you know, in, in a joking sort of way. You know, uh, Ben, you, you better not have too much to, uh, to drink tonight because you you could get arrested for drunk driving. And I always kind of thought, no, that that would never happen. But then we we found this case, and you know, it it actually does happen. Yeah, which shocks me. Um, and it was interesting because the uh, the person in that case who was charged um, brought an application to have um, uh, to have a determination that their charter rights were being violated, and the judge actually disagreed that it wasn't an unfair application of the law. And that to me was incredibly surprising because I think if you require the assistance of of a wheelchair to get around, um, you shouldn't have to worry about facing an impaired driving prosecution for doing what everybody else uh, can do if they don't require the assistance of a wheelchair. It seems inherently discriminatory to me. Yeah, and and in principle, Kyla, I I agree with that. But the difference to me is that, you know, somebody who is using a wheelchair as much as I'd love to uh, be able to say that we're the same as people who don't use wheelchairs, there's there's a bit of a difference there because, uh, like for example, in my wheelchair, I can reach higher speeds than somebody uh, who isn't using a wheelchair. So it there's an interesting, you know, balancing act of of uh, you know discrimination and and public safety because if I'm you know 
drunk and out of control and I'm going going down a hill out of control, I, I could injure people. How, like, can I ask how fast your chair can go? Uh, I, I mean, it, it depends, uh, but uh, g- going down a, if I'm going down a steep hill, for example, I can, I can easily uh, l- lose control of, of the chair. Okay, so it's more the... If, if I'm not, if I'm not in, you know, a, a safe mental capacity. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I never really thought about it that way. Um... But does, do you think, though, like, I think one of the things that was interesting about this case was that the individual um, in that case was somebody who uh, wasn't um, somebody who always had to be uh, in a wheelchair. He was uh, able to walk for distances of 100 to 150 meters at a given time. Does that, in your mind, create any distinguishing factor between people who, are, uh, who aren't able to walk any distances? Uh, you, you know that that's an interesting point. I think, I think it kind of it does because you know he. I I don't want to say he has a choice. I don't I don't think that's the the right word. But uh, you know he doesn't always have to be in the wheelchair. So you know it's it's not uh, it's not anybody else's problem that at that time. He was in in a wheelchair. If you if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, if he if he wants to drink, then he should do it. You know, out of his chair as opposed to in it, um, because of the public safety risk that you've you've identified. Um, what do you think the law, in any way, like the law in relation to impaired driving, should uh, take into consideration people who uh, who have to rely on on motorized chairs to get around and and have some accommodation for that? Um, is that something that you think should change? Yes, absolutely. Because you know, if if somebody is you know in a motorized wheelchair and and isn't you know causing any danger to anyone or is you know just they, they just happen to be intoxicated uh while in a motorized wheelchair that's that's not a crime in my mind uh and and that would be the same as as an able-bodied person that that you know is is intoxicated it's when it's when you're putting other people at risk where i think uh that that becomes a problem so if you were to rewrite the criminal code um, and rewrite the provisions in relation to operating a conveyance, would you create a, a statutory exception for people who are using wheelchairs, who are um, not able to get around without them, and who are doing it in a safe way? How would you uh, like that? Uh, you know, I... I... I'll clarify this by saying that I I'm not in a legal expert in, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in, in any way, but I you know I would I would definitely you know like to to see some variation because somebody who you know is is able to walk on their own but you know needs a wheelchair for assistance for whatever reason, maybe it's because they they're drunk and they they can't walk. Uh, <laughs> That's different than than somebody like like myself who I I'm in the wheelchair uh, twenty twenty four seven I guess and uh, and you know I don't really have a, a choice that I I want to go out with friends tonight and and have a a few drinks and uh, and I can't choose to you know just 
get up out of the wheelchair. Yeah. What about um, what about the fact that uh, in in the criminal code, uh, the definition of motor vehicle is is so broad, and now the now the word they use is conveyance, but it's basically the same thing. The definition is so broad that it includes um, motorized wheelchairs, but it doesn't include bicycles. I mean, to me, that's completely absurd because I I'm probably going down a hill. I'm a terrible danger on a bicycle going down a hill because I'm not very good at riding a bike. But, um, you know, uh, I'm as much of a danger, I would say, um, going down a hill on a bike well drunk as uh, somebody would be in in a wheelchair. You know, I've got a bunch of metal around me and I'm going fast and I'm out of control. Um, Is it not absurd to you that the law doesn't doesn't uh, distinguish properly um, the or I guess does distinguish between those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, if if you're on a roadway and you're using a vehicle uh, like a motorized wheelchair, then yeah, I can probably see the argument uh, for you being considered a motorized uh, vehicle. But if you're on a bicycle and you're on a roadway that that to me is exactly the same thing i don't i don't understand why there would be a difference between the two things all right so uh, based on your thoughts rewrite the law to uh to prohibit people using bicycles well intoxicated which frankly i agree with um and create an exception for people who are using a motorized wheelchair in a safe way um while drinking and would that address like the concerns you have, but still allow um, for investigations of dangerous people in their wheelchairs? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I don't want to be put in a position where you know I'm I'm going down the sidewalk uh, after being out with some friends, and and a cop stops me and and asks me to do a breathalyzer, and uh, you know, I I. Um, I registered that I, I'd been drinking, and then I get in into a criminal uh, trouble for that because you know I'm I'm not causing any harm to anyone. I'm just living my life like an able-bodied person uh, would be able to. Yeah. Do you, uh, having read this decision, like, do you are you going to change the way you live your life, or are you going to say, you know what, that's ridiculous. I don't agree with it, and I'm going to keep living my life to the fullest and. Who cares about the case? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, it's it's probably not going to to change the way that I I live my life, but it's it's something I'm gonna you know keep in the back of my heart, back of my mind that you know that this is the reality of our country that uh, you know there there is pres- precedent out there that uh, somebody in a motorized wheelchair can be arrested for drunk driving so it's something that i'm i'm definitely going to keep in in the back of my mind yeah all right uh well i will tell you if if you are ever stopped or investigated ben i will 100 percent come and defend you because i think it's absurd um and i would like to see a, a, an exception carved out because uh to me when i read this case i was i was just appalled i'm you know i'm appreciative of of your um nuanced position and i actually um, now that you've explained it i i i quite agree with you but um if anything ever happens to you i'm there i promise <laughs> <laughs> 
definitely be the first person I would call, Kyla. Oh, thanks. Um, do you have any other thoughts you want to share with our listeners about um, about uh, impaired driving prosecutions in a wheelchair or, or anything like that? That kind of uh, covers everything that uh, that uh, came to my mind. It's just, you know, such, an, such a thing that it, it comes up all the time in conversations uh, uh, with me, and, and, you know, it's it's a bit concerning uh, to me that this is a, a case that's out there. I, I mean, I, with this specific case, the the guy was uh, was acting erratically and and was causing um, danger to himself and and those around him. So in that specific case, then absolutely he should have been charged with something. But I, I'm concerned about uh, the precedent that that. Uh, that leads to for uh, people that are just behaving appropriately that have happened to consume a little bit of alcohol. Yeah, well, I mean, I would hope that police officers use a little common sense in enforcing the law. Um, Because at the end of the day, uh, if I were a police officer, I would not want to be the police officer who got public attention for... Uh, giving a uh, driving prohibition or or forwarding criminal charges to the crown to somebody who was not acting out, not posing a danger to the public, but who had been drinking and was using their wheelchair. Um, because I don't think the public would look very positively on that. No, I, I, I can't say I see that going too well, Tyler. <laughs> And if it happens to you, uh, since you uh, since you work for CKNW, you can just like get on the news about it right away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I'm sure it won't happen, and if it does, of course, we're here and for anybody else too that um, uh, that is is concerned about this. Um, but I think you know this is the start, uh, hopefully, of a discussion that needs to be had about how the law does discriminate in uh, impaired driving cases for people who are using motorized wheelchairs. And I really thank you for. Your your time in uh, recording with me tonight to uh, to share your views and you know maybe we'll change the law. Uh, you know, it, all it starts with is a conversation. Exactly. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kyla. Thank you very much to Ben Dooley, who joined us on the podcast just now and for taking time out of his evening to talk to us about this very interesting issue. Um, was and it a now, good discussion? It was a good discussion. Good. He's very, like, smart. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's smart about things that, that you well, know he's a, about. Well, he's a producer so, at CKNW. Yeah, I mean, he's... yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, talking about law with non-law people, sometimes they get you nervous. Think, yeah. And... No, I, yeah, but I find people who are journalists generally are more twigged yeah. in. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I wanted to talk to you about something like super technical legal issue because it has come up twice for me in the last little while. Um, I was in Sparwood for court a couple weeks ago. And when I was there... Um, Sparwood? Sparwood, British Columbia, yes. Sparwood? Sparwood. I don't remember you going of, to Sparwood. Well, you barely pay attention on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, um, at the home apparently of the world's largest truck. I don't know that I agree. I think I saw bigger in Forestburg, Alberta, but could be. Anyway, Sparwood can make the claim until somebody else comes along and challenges it with. Yeah, like a Forestburg. Challenge. Well, anyway, they could. Yeah. So in Sparwood, I wasn't looking at trucks. I was doing driving law. Uh, actually, I didn't do anything because I didn't get on, so I wasted a day. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, 
the Jordan case. No, I know. I'm just like, is it going to provide you with a, with a remedy in this case or not? No. So it's not thanks, Jordan. I mean, it's... Well, it is thanks, Jordan, because other stuff had to happen oh. that bumped me. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Anyway, to get on topic, there was a person there who was charged with impaired driving causing bodily harm. And they were charged under the old version of the law. So as of December 18th, 2018, as you, Paul, know, impaired causing bodily harm is a hybrid offense. So it can be prosecuted summarily or by indictment. But this was predating the amendments, so it was being prosecuted by indictment. It has to be. as a straight Back in my day, it was a straight indictable <laughs> offense. <laughs> right. You always used to go around being like, oh, C2, you know, pre-2008 amendments, blah, blah, blah. And I used to be like, oh, my God, this guy. And now, now that's me. I'm that guy. Yep. Back in my day. <laughs> Whatever. Um, the point was he was being prosecuted by indictment, but on the same information as the indictable impaired driving causing bodily harm offense, there was also a driving while prohibited charge under the Motor Vehicle Act. Oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't, does not work. Yes. Doesn't work then, doesn't work now. Yes. Then, so that was a couple weeks ago that came up, and I thought, huh, okay. And I was whispering to some lawyers in the courtroom about why that's a problem. The judge identified it right away as, this is a problem, Crown. Did you not think about this? And uh, then it came up again today in a discussion with a lawyer in court. Mark Busanich is a lawyer I used to work with many years ago when we were in the Sun Tower together. He's not there anymore, and neither am I, obviously. And um, he explained it all to me. So we will see whether or not your explanation corresponds with Mark's explanation. Well, what's Mark's explanation? Well, his theory was primarily the prejudice that arises in the allegation of the person driving while prohibited when they're dealing with a criminal charge on the same information. But there was another angle he had as well. So let me see if he had something that well, I want to. I want to ask you about the prejudice first. What if? How is it prejudicial if your driving prohibition arises from a prohibition for points? Oh, I, I just think that the the when you're sitting there thinking about a person facing a criminal charge at the same time uh, that they are facing, um, you know, and that they've got this thing there, and the the charge right there before the judge is that the person is not only um, driving while impaired, they're also driving while prohibited. And you can be prohibited purely in an, an administrative process, and you can be prohibited for things that you could not uh, challenge judicially, such as a 24-hour for drugs, mm-hmm. or challenge period, uh, you could challenge it judiciously. judicially. Well, you can um, challenge it now through now the superintendent, but yes, gotcha. But, but that was... 12-hour prohibition. Exactly. So that was the essence of, I think, his argument when he explained it to me. God, if I saw someone who But he who had got... another procedural argument as well with respect to elections. Go on. Well... I think you better explain your argument first. <laughs> so you're like, okay, tell me what your answer is, and then I'll tell you whether... Well, guess no, a number, he said... Guess, he yeah, said yeah, Paul, guess a number between one and ten that I'm thinking of right now. I'm not going to play your little guessing game. <laughs> Just guess one. No, I think Mark's theory was that you couldn't have a jury trial with a, um, with a uh, drive while prohibited. But you could with an impaired bodily or an impaired death. Exactly. You couldn't with a straight impaired. 
There was a case correct because they can, yeah. The absence of really serious consequences. Yeah, so it ends up being prosecuted summarily. What they could lay in impaired by indictment, we have one in Alberta right now where the Crown has elected to proceed indictably for some unknown reason for this person who has no prior offenses. Yeah, isn't that wrong? Wasn't isn't there there's a case on that. Is there? Is there? I don't know. I thought there was. Well anybody know knows there's a case. <laughs> I know who to call, ask. Call us call us up and let us know. <laughs> I know who will know. Um the point uh, that I think is important to talk about with these informations is similar to Mark's point about elections, that you can't elect trial by jury because you have this lesser charge. Um, but I think it actually frustrates the Crown's ability to make an election. Because for anything prosecuted under the Offense Act, like a traffic ticket, uh, a provincial regulatory offense, you know, if they're transporting cannabis in their car even, like just anything like that, um, that would be something that the Crown can't elect to proceed indictably. It's not a hybrid offense. The provincial offenses are all summary offenses, and they can't make indictable provincial offenses. So then you have an offense that is on an information where the Crown has yet to make an election. They're not electing to proceed summarily or indictably until they make that election in court. And it frustrates their ability to make an election, which necessarily then frustrates the prosecution. I mean, does it cause them to lose jurisdiction? You know, you think about it, a a superior court has jurisdiction over everything. So a a superior court still has jurisdiction over provincial offenses. They've yes. just never, ever seen one ever in in Superior Court. But, you know, you could theoretically run a Motor Vehicle Act charge in trial in B.C. Supreme Court. Yeah, I'd like to uh, elect to it's be tried never, by it's never B.C. Happened. Supreme Court you don't judge. Get, you don't <laughs> get an election and you don't get that choice. No. But they do have jurisdiction over. But if they put it the on an information, realm. what would happen if they put it on an information? You have a drive while prohibited, on the same information as an impaired, and you elect because it's indictable until the crown makes an election. So you go, well, that's indictable right now. I'm electing trial in BC Supreme Court. What? How can that work? I don't see how it can work. Yeah, like I think it actually potentially invalidates the information. Well, they might not invalidate the whole information. If you were to apply to quash the information or the indictment, however it's phrased on there, I guess it would be an indictment in the case of a historically a, a bodily harm, impaired bodily harm case. Yes. If you were to apply, it would probably just be uh, struck from that information, I would think. Well, the crown... I mean, you, you might succeed on the one count that shouldn't be there. You'd have to wait. I mean, the I guess, like, theoretically, if you were going to be doing that, the way that you would be able to run that argument, you would have to wait until the limitation period had expired for the provincial offense. Um, you'd want to lie in the weeds, because if you didn't, then they could just relay it on a different information. Um, yeah, you could just wait out the year. Yeah, wait out the year. Probably and notify then, the Crown at that point. Oh, by the way. By the way, you can't do this, but and then bring your application to quash I'm, the and information. I'm, re- I'm re-electing to BC <laughs> Supreme Court. And they can, you know, they can always lay the indictable charge at any point. You get into interesting issues of, of 
abusive process? Uh, well, not just abusive process. I mean, if there's an information that's quashed and it's relayed, it's not necessarily an abusive process, but more interesting issues of like pre-charge delay because you have a new information, which means the Jordan clock resets, but you have all of this time that's at least a year, if you're talking to drive all prohibited, that's been wasted from when the first information was sworn, um, where your your Jordan clock was also ticking. And can you add those two time periods together? And if you bring it strategically later, is that your delay or is that Crown's delay? Because they're the one that started the improper process to begin with. Well, I think my answer is that it's the Crown's delay. <laughs> but I thought, I'm, I'm just amazed. So this was... This was uh, somebody else's matter in Sparwood that day that you uh -huh. saw that on. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't think that their computer system would let them do that because the uh, at some point, like probably 16 years ago when Mark Busanich and I had this discussion, our understanding was that they that their system would not allow them to create such an information. Yeah, but that, that might be here where they do computer-sworn informations in Sparwood, their hand-sworn informations. But they ty somebody types it up. I didn't think they, they would allow it, you know, their system would allow it to be typed up, you would think. I don't know. I can create a Word document and write whatever the fuck I want on it. That's true, too. And every once in a while you see an information that's got, you wonder how it came out so bad. Mm -hmm. I once had an information on a impaired driving charge in Northwest Territories, the territory, that specified that my client was operating a motor vehicle to wit a white jeep liberty <laughs> uh well his ability to do so was impaired by alcohol what if it turns out he wasn't driving a jeep liberty but it was a jeep wrangler well and it was funny silver. story he was driving a toyota oh uh-huh okay i know i was like well i'm gonna stuff that in my back pocket i mean it's obviously surplusage but still well they lay it out you know you prove know. it Prove, prove that he was operating that Jeep Liberty. Where's the Jeep? I'd be, I would have a real problem with that if I was a judge. If I heard that the evidence was a Toyota and it was particularized as a Jeep Liberty, I would have a real problem with that. I guess most people would just overlook it. What's the evidence and did the guy drive impaired? But Yeah. I, I would, yeah. It's not an essential element of the offense that the make and model of the vehicle be specified. No, but I would want to hear full arguments on it because you you are being notified about what you are alleged to have done in the information. Anyway, the case in Sparwood, actually very interesting because the judge pointed it out to the Crown and said, hey, Crown, I, I think you have a problem here. I don't know that you can do that. And the Crown didn't really have an answer. He wasn't sure whether he could. Um, it wasn't a trial starting, was it? What was happening? No, but they were trying to do a plea. They were trying to, like, enter a plea. so A not guilty plea. Yeah. But how do you plead not guilty to a defective information? Like, the, technically, the court can't even take a plea. I know. I was just thinking, why would the judge even speak up? But, yeah. He had to speak up. Um, and then the guy was represented by counsel. And Crown said, well, we can apply to um, amend the information. Uh, or, no, sorry, they didn't want to amend the information. They wanted to re-elect to proceed summarily, but they were out of time to proceed summarily. So they were beyond the one-year limitation period. Yes. No, well, six a... months for summary. Oh, six months back. Yeah. yeah. It's so were... changed now. It's one year, isn't it? With the, the changes in the... 75 yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they were out of time, and they were asking defense counsel if he was going to consent 
to them. Uh, no, 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 uh, yeah. no, no. Well, that's no, what no, I'm whispering. No. I'm like, no, don't do don't it. Consent. Don't do it. Don't consent. Don't consent. And he did. I was so sad. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, well. I was like, uh, I'm been... sorry. You know what? There may, there <laughs> Your may, Honor, there... I cannot in good conscience consent to that. There may have been some strategic reason that he was doing it. He may have had some other, or she may have had some other plan. You don't know. I don't know. You're right. I'm, you know, far be it for me to second guess counsel, but the impression I got watching this unfold was that defense counsel was as taken by surprise by it as was the judge and the clerk and the crown. The, uh, there's been times you've been running trials and other lawyers have popped their heads in and wondered, why are you doing what you're doing? And there was all a grand plan and you succeeded. I know. So I will not operate under the assumption that this lawyer wasn't no. Thinking about it, even though they were caught by surprise, it's hard to think on your feet all the time and to think through all of the implications of those things. I know you can do it, Kyla, but the rest of us, we struggle. I would probably struggle in that situation. I mean, the answer came to me easily sitting at the side of the room, but that's a different, you know, I'm not standing there in front of my client being called out for potentially missing something. And, you know, you think about that, like, from your, your client's perspective, the client doesn't understand the discussion, but they understand there's a problem and you haven't told them about it. Well, you may not have thought about it or noticed it. You didn't have the discussion with Mark Busanich back in 2005. No, I did not. He was a good source of those little legal tidbits. Well, <laughs> next time I'll... <laughs> I think he's a prosecutor now. Yeah, I think so. So the next time I won't call Mark Percentage. Yeah. He's a good, hey, defen- Mark. good defense counsel and probably a good prosecutor. Uh, that's not true. You know, one of the things I like about uh, BC, especially, we went to Montreal recently for a meeting with defense lawyers from across Canada who Which was really interesting. That on was impaired really, driving. really, really interesting. Very interesting. Very useful. Like 15 of us total. Yeah, and it was it was interesting the way that we did it. Like the, the round table? The round table. The C46 round table. It was a round table. It was horseshoe. rectangular. It was horseshoe. Yeah. It was horseshoe. Yeah. But um, the, I don't remember where what I was going to say about Mark, that. Mark, tidbits. Oh, oh, the one thing that I took away is that we have a much better relationship here in British Columbia as defense counsel with crown counsel than they do elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people were like, oh, well, you can't trust Crown for this. And I was like, what? I can phone up Crown and tell them this and that and the other thing, and it's usually fine, mm, depending I, who it is yeah. and depending on what it is. Well, you and I have both run trials in Ontario, and it's a completely different relationship that Crown and Defense have. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot more, uh, there's, there's, there's much less trust and a lot more antagonism, and I think people are cagey. And I don't know why that is, you know, it's usually pressure from above um, and taking away discretion from prosecutors. But uh, in BC, for the most part, you know, we've got this relationship where the prosecutors and defense, you know, hang out together and we get along well. And part of the best part of my day a lot of the time is talking to prosecutors. Speaking of talking to prosecutors, that makes me think of talking to police officers, which makes me think that it's time for us to give an update on our duty council project. Sure. It's been almost a month now. And um, we, along with uh, Kevin Filco's office, Filco Law, um, have been uh, providing legal advice in courthouses around the Lower Mainland, not just the Lower Mainland. Davin went to Nanaimo one day and he he was there and did it there. Yeah, I think Emma did it in Kamloops or somewhere. Yeah. 
She was somewhere for traffic court recently and she did it. And so we walk up to the people who are waiting outside a traffic court and we're there a half an hour before and we go, hey, everybody, is that we're traffic court lawyers. It's free legal advice. You're not committed to anything. You know, we're not charging you anything. If you got something in traffic court and you want to talk to a lawyer for a minute about it, it's free. And, and then you get a skeptical look. And then you get a few people who come up. <laughs> and then you get a few people who nervously come up. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes you end up with a full line of people. Um, yeah, if, I mean, we've especially if it's a like a lot of people. Cell phone hearing day in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, our first day in Vancouver, I think it's we like talked 15. to about 15 people. Mm -hmm. um, today, uh, not as many, but we've been in, uh, but in Poco, I've talked to probably 10, 15 people in one day that I was out there. Yep, um, I've done, you know, every time I've been to North Van, I've only had one, you know, one bite at the, uh, at the line, but doesn't matter. All of those people walked away with good outcomes. Yeah, I, I know at the beginning of this, I said that we wouldn't go negotiate with the police. I know you've been breaking and the rules. You've broken the rules no, too. I no, didn't, I didn't. I There was one situation in Vancouver where I wasn't negotiating with the officer. I sat in because the client had difficulty expressing himself. And it was an officer that I'm familiar with and have dealt with on numerous files. And I was really just trying to help them understand what the other was saying. Well, I, I, I went and spoke to a police officer today because I was worried that the person I spoke with couldn't explain their situation well enough to the officer. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's been, um, it's been interesting. Um, there's lots that I can take from it, but I'm not ready to make any conclusions after one month. But when we're done, uh, we will sit down with uh, as many people as we can get who have participated in this because there's probably like 10 of us now mm -hmm. um, who are doing it. Brandon, Emma, Devin, you, me, and then the everyone from Fukula. Yeah, Jody. Jody's done it, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, and there's got to be at least four people over at, Philco's, uh, at Kevin Filco's office. So when we were done, we were going to have a discussion about it and um, give a little bit of feedback and maybe we'll talk about it here as well. Uh, but it's been useful. It's been very useful. You know, I, I think part of the thing is um, traffic tickets have become so severe. The consequences, the results for people, the implications for them. Well, in their now lives. your insurance is going to go up. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, I was talking to somebody else who had a whole other aspect of it, how it was going to affect them. And they're explaining it to me. And I'm, oh, yeah, I never thought of that angle. Um, and then you've got people who are in, uh, you know, difficult financial situations or they're, you know, they're, they've lost their job or they're laid off and they're looking for another job and they need to drive and they're, you know, facing this. And we've dealt with all of that with, um, when we have, you know, letters from the superintendent of motor vehicles telling people they're going to prohibit them from driving. You know, we've, we've heard the stories and we understand how it plays out for people. Can but this is a say, bit of a different angle. I want to interject here because I read uh, uh, some tweets from a talk that Justice Moldaver from the Supreme Court of Canada gave earlier this week. And one of the things that he said in his talk is that the Supreme Court of Canada judges are paying attention to what people say in social media about them, which is very interesting to me. So. Really? Yes. Chief Justice. Fascinating. Chief Justice, this is for you. Lawyers doing pro bono work without anybody forcing them to do it. 
mandatory pro bono is not something you need to impose. There's, as Paul just said, probably about 10 of us who just have done this because we recognized a need and thought we can help since we're there anyway. I've really enjoyed it um, for a lot of reasons. Do you Um, think the Chief Justice listens to this podcast? Of course he listens to this (laughs) podcast. Nope. He's listening to the podcast. He knows. Um, I guess the other thing that I found is that when I've been talking to people, their issues have been really interesting legal issues. Yeah. So it hasn't just been, you know, some dirty little nothing argument. People have had some fairly significant legal issues. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, geez, that is a defense. That's not a bad defense. But you know, maybe there's a charter argument there, uh, unexpected charter argument. There was that... a person <laughs> I talked to today that had a really interesting question about strict liability and uh, mens rea on an offense that appears to be incorporating both a mens rea component, but also an offense of strict liability and i think the construction of the provision is actually fatally flawed every once in a while i see someone in there um usually it's the the demure spouse with their husband and their husband's decided how they're going to run their defense and i think oh my god this poor person charged the usually the you know middle-aged wife who's alleged to have committed something um and it's, uh, it's a little upsetting for me to see that because I always think their husbands are going to screw up their whole case for them. Um, well, you know. And I always worry about the amateur hour in traffic court. I'm not, it's not a gender issue. I mean, it is, happens to be the way that family dynamics play out. But it really, the, the ultimate underlying issue is every once in a while there's somebody who wants to try and be the, the lawyer for their family member. And it's usually doesn't go their way. Yes. Anyway, so that's our update on Traffic Court Duty Council Project. We'll be continuing this through to the end of July, right? No, and no, mid-August. And mid- Oh, and mid-August. August okay. 15th. It's a two-month project. It started uh, June 14th, goes to uh, August 15th or there about the, the closest weekday to that, I think. So if you 14th. see us in Traffic Court then come and say hi. And uh, if you need some legal advice, come and say, hi, I need some legal advice. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, you know, even if we're not standing in the hallway yelling, anyone want free legal advice? We, we will we will give you free legal advice. It, it takes us longer than you'd think. I mean, you know, I'm accustomed to giving people advice in the office and they explain their whole story and I have lots of time to think about it and I've already, you know, basically come up with an answer. Talking to people in the hallway of the courthouse, you know, it takes me a good 15 minutes to go through it a lot of the time. So, you know, we're there a half an hour before. Sometimes I can meet two or three people. Sometimes I can only meet one or two people, but I've managed to meet, and you and I managed to meet 15 people that one day doing tag We stayed tag there for two sessions. That's true. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we're going to end the week, Paul, with uh, what I promised you. Uh, we had been debating uh, today about who was going to be our ridiculous driver of the week. I had two suggestions. You had two suggestions. They were and? both great suggestions, and neither has made the cut for... Oh. While you were out trying oh. to sell a Monte Carlo, by the way, if you want to buy a Monte Carlo, contact us. Um, while you were out trying to sell a Monte Carlo, I found this story about a apparently increasingly common gender reveal method in Australia. 
So driving, for, a driving law story, a gender for, reveal driving yes, law story. Okay. Yes. For those who don't know, gender reveal is when you're pregnant and you decide to have a big event where you reveal what the fetus's gender is. I don't like. But what if get the, it. what if the child doesn't is, identify is not as identify that? with that yeah, gender? I don't know. I don't. Your parents are trying to jam it down your throat before you're even born? <laughs> anyway, this is a thing that people do. I don't have children. I don't understand. But uh, uh, So these are people who have had an ultrasound and know the gender of a child. Yeah, I guess there's a way to tell. Anyway, so they're doing gender reveal burnouts. They get special tires with like a powder that when you do a burnout will spit out a colored smoke oh my god associated oh with my the gender god. this of is stupid this, this is totally high stupid. level stupid but it gets better because this ridiculous driver of the week um on the gold coast in queensland decided after about 90 seconds it's all caught on camera of revealing the gender blue smoke from the tire burnout that he was just gonna keep doing the burnout car spun sideways um and after about a minute uh and a half um a minute and a half burnout i'm surprised um, there's any tires left yeah well uh the two uh tires erupted in fire and massive flames shot out <laughs> from uh the rear of the car uh so he was charged with dangerous driving given a six month driving ban and a thousand dollar fine yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. But I, I thought some of the I thought the other ones were not bad. I know, the other ones I know but bad. this is like so stupid. It's like intentional stupidity, and then you just keep going uh, until you light your car on fire. What a moron! What a moron! But that's the whole idea of the ridiculous driver of the week is what a moron. So, and the other ones that we had were were local, so everybody's probably heard of them. So this is Australia. The they last have morons. Week I had there. the wedding dress DUI lady. I know, but no, I'm saying the ones that I had that you rejected were local. Well, I don't want to shame anyone. But we who had the we had with the McLaren, with the McLaren. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we shamed him. He made a come to us. Might have been phoning us up, dialing the number, and listening to the podcast at the same time, and decided, oh, no, well, maybe not. This guy who's already pled guilty in Australia. If he's smart, he will have called Kevin he's Philco already, if he's not calling us. He's already been shamed. Yeah. So uh, we lose nothing there. Um, all right. Well, that is our episode, Paul. Yeah. There's noise coming. So we should wrap we'll it up. And on a drum solo that you can't hear probably on the recording, but is coming from next door. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Driving Law. If you need to reach me or Paul, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and don't hesitate to say hi in traffic court. Yeah.